I want to um, I want to share something with you guys as we start this morning. And you know that the old man John and in, in, in this study that we started called Friend of Jesus, we we get this this heart from from John who who uses only 304 vocabulary words to to write all of 1st, 2nd and 3rd John. Now, the idea that that Jesus, who is the God of all creation, he's the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that's in him, the same star breathing God who who sent his son out of heaven to become like a man to to walk the earth and, and teach us and show us what the father was like and lead a sinless life for you and me who would die on a cross be put in a tomb and raise again the third day. And that if we receive and believe upon Jesus Christ and the work that he did, that, that, that we will have eternal life. This same Jesus who the Bible says kenosis or the, the, the word means he emptied himself. He became like you and I. He humbled himself. How did he humble himself? He, he let the, the, very, the very people that he loved and created and breathed breath into their, into their lungs and into their lives, he let them punch him in the face. He let them rip the very beard from his face and spit on him. Weave a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And that wasn't good enough, and so they knocked it in until it wedged into his head. They, they beat him with a cat of nine tails 40 times until he was barely had any life left in him. They put a cross on his back and they made him carry it down the Via Dolorosa to the place of Calvary where they put nails in his hands and in his feet and hung on a cross. And then this very same Jesus who died on that cross was placed in a borrowed tomb. And check it out. Three days later, he rose from the dead and he appeared and he's alive today and he conquered sin and death. Amen. And, and this, is the, this is the gospel. And this very message is so radical. Just think of the very fact that Jesus rose from the grave. Imagine if we knew somebody today who died and we walked with and we saw them die. And we see them walking three days later, how that would affect and change our lives. And the impact that, that Jesus himself, who conquered sin and death, would have. And that whole story of, of God's redemption upon man, it's intended to shock us. It's intended to really impact us. But here's what happens 2,000 years later. It, 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 it becomes so normal and so talked about and so, you know, understood that it loses its pizzazz. It loses its power. It loses the reality that, that Jesus was... God in the flesh who walked on the earth, defeated sin and death. What'd you do today? And, and, and ever lives to make intercession for us. And there should be an amazing impact. Now, that, that is to say this. Old man John, the writer of the book that we're studying this morning. He's a hundred years old. He's been a Christian for 80 years. He was the, the, the best friend of Jesus here on the earth. He, he wrote already the book of Revelation and the gospel of John. This guy wrote the seven I am statements of Jesus. 
He was given the revelation of the end of the world, the millennial of eternity. He was given prophecies that are, that are yet future, very detailed of how the seven-year tribulation period would go. He comes back now and he's in Ephesus. And, and, and then he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John at the end of his life. Now, if there was one person in the planet who, who could really go over your head and dazzle you with some deep theological understanding and revelation, it would be John. The Apostle Paul, right, would probably be another one. And John, rather than do that, what does he do? He gives us this most simple message late in life. He, he, he doesn't need you to come join his church or, you know, he doesn't care if you like him or not. He loves you. He loves Jesus. And, and he writes, and, and, and in three letters, he uses very limited vocabulary. He's very redundant, repeats himself over and over again. And what does he think is important to share with us? The guy that's the closest to Jesus ever here on the earth. The guy who, who's walked with Jesus for 80 years and is now old man John. You know what he wants to give us? The gospel. That's what he thinks is important. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is the, the, the simple message of, and the theme of, of 1 John is to love one another and to love God. Love God, love one another. Love God, love one another. Look across the aisles. That's what God, who God calls you to love and to know. And then look up and God calls you to love him. Amen? Amen. Thank you for standing with me. Apologize if... Uh, you may sit, please, please, seriously. You're like, hey, what are we playing? Simon Says. Somebody's like, no, no, you didn't say Simon Says. I'm not sitting. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to 1 John. Super excited about this new series um, that we started three weeks ago called Friend of John. Our friend of Jesus, who was John, old man John. And, and again, the um, I'm going to read. I'm going to let you guys sit for this part. Normally we... We're going we're gonna to read. I just want you to read. I've been encouraging you guys as we go through this study five times a week to read 1 John. There's five chapters. It'll take you 15 minutes. I'm encouraging everybody not to, not to forego if you have a daily Bible reading plan and you're, you're marching through the Bible one day at a time. You got to do that too. But I want you to read. I want you to add to it the, the, the letter of 1 John five times this week. Okay? And so as we read through it, God is going to do something in your life. God's going to speak to you. It's going to prepare your heart for the message and, and what it is that God wants to speak to us as we gather together on Sundays. It says in, in, chapter, in John chapter 1, I'm just going to read all 10 verses. And then, um, then we'll start in verse 5 where we left off last week. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon... Our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifest and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life in which was with the father and was manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which which you have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say that we have not sinned and we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Um, I, I always say this term when I read that. It says liar. And I'm always saying that in church. Liar. And, and so somebody thought it'd be funny to, to pull this clip up because they actually cheated. Liar. 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 <laughs> so just for reference, when I when I'm saying liar, that, that's where I got it from. And as you know, that's, that's the best movie that's ever been made, right, Princess Bride? Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You kill my father. Prepare to die. Everybody knows it. They beat me to the punch. So thank you for that. That, that was pretty cool. It was funny. So um, now we're on talking about liars. John says you're a liar. So, yeah, I get to call you a liar today, and it's not even me. I can just say John said it. Old man John said it as, as we go through this. So um, before we get into the verses today... Um, I'm going to go over this every week because I want you guys to learn it. I want you to know it. I think it's super important. We did it in our intro. But there's a phrase through 1 John. And, and again, the heart of what I'm trying to share with you and what we're trying to pull out of 1 John is what did old man John, if old man John is your grandpa, if he's your partner, and he has something that he learned in his relationship and his walk with Jesus that he wanted to communicate with you. And again, John, and again, you know, most scholars believe that, that first, second, and third John were the last books written in the Bible. And we know John wrote him and he wrote the book of revelation and, and it's, and he wrote it after he got back from exile. And so John's last message, the last thing that John, and with all of his wisdom and all of his, um, experience, what did he want to say to us? And, and that's what we want to communicate is this heart. And so John tells us what he wanted to say to us. And we have this phrase that we looked at, these things we write. And so John says that um, multiple times. Oh, I just lost it. Multiple times in, um, in first John. So when you see that phrase, as you read through it, these things we write, then, then pay attention. But I want you to flag them and know them. So the first thing is in, in, Chapter 1, verse 4, he says, These things we write that your joy may be full. And so John is really concerned right in the onset, right in the beginning, these things we write that your joy may be full. You know, one of the things we found in Jesus is that Jesus in the last 48 hours of his life, read it, John 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, 10 chapters that chronicle a 72 hour period of Jesus' life. And one of the things that's repeated in there, and it starts to jump out at you, is that Jesus was really concerned with your joy and my joy. And and one of the first things that old man John says to us is that the reason why I think of all that I've learned that's really important to write to you is that your joy may be full. And you know what? As Christian people, you guys, we have to have joy. I often say that if if joy is lacking in your life, if joy is a struggle, then jump on it with both feet. Now, not, not to play the hypocrite, I, I just want to be honest about, you know, I went to this um, funeral service at another church and um, another pastor and a friend that, that I knew had passed away and, um, and, and I was in another place and the pastor got up and uh, he was, he was going to try to encourage everybody as you do in, in funerals and, and have some word of hope and encouragement and he got up and he said, life is hard, then you die. <laughs> I'm like, nothing in the middle? That's it? Life is hard and then you die? And, and, and sometimes life feels that way, right? And, and the reality is he's probably true on the bookends. Life is hard. 
You know, you know, we, we go through, and one of the things I've been preaching to you guys since the day I got here was Ephesians chapter five, that as believers, we're going to face spiritual battles. The Bible says, and we don't like to underline these promises in the word, but the Bible is really clear. If you call yourself a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you will suffer persecution and tribulation. You will have struggles. James said, hey, don't, don't count it, you know, don't think it all strange when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And, 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 and but the reality is, you know, Lydia and I have been going through some stuff the last couple of weeks that it just, you know, and, and it's, it's nothing new. And, and I don't want to appear as, as I'm whining, but I'm just telling you the reality of, you know, life and, and coming from a pastor. I think there's different levels of stuff we go through, but we all are going to go through attacks and you guys are experiencing them. You guys tell me what you're going through. I know what you're going through. It, it's hard stuff and it just feels right. Doesn't it feel sometimes like we're just getting beat up and, and we're just facing these battles, these spiritual fights all the time. And, and for Lydia and I, she's getting ready to teach a women's retreat. 350 ladies signed up. And um, God's doing good stuff in our church. And whenever that happens, it, we're always going to face attacks and attacks. And, and I'd like to tell you, hey, you just got to weather this one and it'll, it'll get better. It'll go away. But fortunately, that's not true. It, you, they just keep coming because the Bible promises that we're going to face trials and tribulations. And so, you know, I'm telling Lydia, you know, the other day, I'm like, I, I, I don't want to play the hypocrite. I'm struggling with joy. And how can I go and, and encourage joy and teach joy and tell people joy when I'm having a hard time myself through these trials and tribulations, finding joy, you know? And, and the Bible says that, that you could find joy in knowing that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And, and, and there is this, this difference between happiness and joy that the Bible describes. And joy is deeper it's deeper than happiness. It's, it's something that comes in our relationship with God. And it's something that, you know, the reality is Christians, we do deal with, with things, with um, death and with circumstances, with more grace, because we do have a hope and a courage. And, 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 and here's the reality, because I don't want to be that life is hard and then you die guy. That, that's not me. That's not my heart at all. And Jesus was really concerned with your joy. And John, old man John, he starts his letter by saying, hey, I'm writing this so that we as Christian people will have joy. And so it's something that we do have to fight for. It's something that we can't lose hope on. It's such an attack of the enemy to attack, 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 attack our joy. And we have to, you have to find joy. You know what? It, it, one of the things is the Bible says that you're a light to the rest of the world. And the reality is, if, if the world looks at you and they see no joy in your life, no, no victory, why in the world would they want to be a Christian? Why in the world would they want to serve the God that you serve? And so what do we do? We just fake it like cotton candy, all fluffy, but no substance, you know, just that's what we do. We just fake it all the time. And, you know, I think there's some some wisdom in faking it until you make it sometimes. You know, I say oftentimes, you know, give 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 everybody else the sunshine and give Jesus the rest. And, and, and there does need to be, you know, you don't want to be that guy. Right. And every time I come up to you, how are you doing? Tired. Terrible. My bunions hurt. <laughs> like, I don't want to know about your bunions. I, I, yeah, not really. I didn't really want to know all that. You know, and seriously, if, if your bunions hurt and you want to tell me that, no problem. I, I'll sympathize with you. I'll love on you. I'll pray for you. But if every time I talk to you, every time somebody comes around you, you're just poor as me, woe as me, it's old, right? That's just the reality of life. Sometimes you just got to smile and say, hey, everything's wonderful. 
Not, not that you can't confess, not that you can't be real. We got to be real. But, but this idea of, of joy in the Lord, it's super important. God really concerned with it. He loves you a lot. He wants you to have that and experience that joy. And as Christian people, we got to find it. We got to work on it. We got to fight for it. You know, um, it, 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 we're going to fight forever and ever and ever and ever, right? We're just going to keep fighting. It's just a, a battle. And we don't ever want to enter this battle called Christian living that we're in thinking that, oh man, this one's just today and tomorrow everything's going to get better. Never, no, devil's never going to come back. Struggles are never going to happen. They are all the way. So God wants us to have that joy. And so we got to find it. And just like you guys, hopefully I was just being honest and real that, you know, joy is something that I can struggle with from time to time. And joy is something that I know, though, intellectually, that, that I have to have, I have to want, I have to work, I have to seek Jesus for it. And then the reality is if the word of God is true, God will give us joy. And God does give us so much joy. There's so, I have so much to be thankful for, so much joy in our lives in so many areas. And, and yet we're going to continue to fight. So stay in the battle. Keep fighting. Book of 1 John will help because the purpose of it is so that you will have joy. And so if you're struggling with your joy, get in this, this project that I gave you and start reading 1 John five times this week and, and uh, let John speak to us in this area. The second thing, I'm going to go through this list fast so you guys know them, but the second thing is that you might not sin. So he says, we, these things we write, that your joy may be full, chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 2, verse 1, these things we write, that you may not sin or that you sin not. So John is going to come up with a plan. He's going to write things in these letters that are going to help us with our sin problem. Number three, he says, these things we write to you, that you be not deceived, super important, that he doesn't want deception to creep into our lives, into our theology, into our Christianity, that, that he's writing so that we're not deceived by those things. In, in chapter five, in verse 13, that you know you have eternal life. And that one's huge, especially in our, in our community. It, it, it's, it's important in any community, but the, the, <clears throat> the reality is, that John gives us and tells us that we can know we're saved. Now, I think if we walked around, you know, with, without any kind of um, substance, without any kind of proof, and we said, yeah, we're going to heaven. We're saved. We're going to be in streets of gold. You know, we're going to be cruising on the Crystal Sea and hanging out with Jesus and whoever else is in heaven that's really cool that we didn't get to hang out with because we weren't cool enough here on the world. And um, that's what we're going to do in heaven. But, you know, the world might say, well, what is your proof of that? And if we don't really have anything better than just, well, because I'm a Christian or whatever. But check it out. You have here and we have in the word of God, John, who clears something up for us as Christian people that you can know that you know that you know that you know you're saved. It's not a matter of arrogance. It's not a matter of you being conceited or haughty or anything else. It's a confidence and it's a faith in believing what the word of God says. And John here says, you know that you know that you know. Why is that important? Because if I live and I operate in in a works-based religion and there's isms and schisms by the truckload out there, I, I, I have to go through life hoping that I did enough, that I earned enough, that I pleased God enough to go to heaven. And on my deathbed, the best I can do on my deathbed is hope that I did enough to go to heaven. I've had the pleasure, displeasure, opportunity, I don't know which one it was, to be at the deathbed of a, of a, a religious person when they died. They happened to be a part of the Jehovah Witness um, religion. And they were fearful and there was no peace. 
And they were afraid. They were afraid because in the, what they've been taught their whole lives is they have to earn enough and do enough and, 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 and work and earn their way into heaven. And they just weren't sure if they did enough. They almost wanted to get up and just go do some more just to be sure. But yet John says for us, not just for us, but for anyone who believes, that you can know that you know that you know that you're saved. So once we solve that, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you've received Jesus in your heart, you've admitted you're a sinner, you need a Savior, and you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you can know that you know that you know you can be saved. And that's why John writes. Amen? All right, let's go to verse number five. We're going to start. We, we covered four verses last week. We're going to finish chapter one today. Next week, we're going to um, dive into chapter two and get like um, four more verses done. We, we are going to take our time going through here. Not, not too much time, maybe half a chapter a week. But um, verse number five says that this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I did like a screech right here. I'm, I'm going through this and I'm like, you know, friend of Jesus, love God, love one another, love, love, love. The word love is so redundant. You read love one another as you're reading through first John and, and you stop and you go back. You're like, didn't I just read that? Maybe I've like, you know, like you do that thing when you're reading, how you read the same line a couple of times. So you check to make sure you're like, no, I didn't do that. It's here and it's here and it's here. And it's so redundant. And the theme of first John is, it's a, I mean, it's a question. It's a four letter word. Starts with L. The theme of John is love. We all know that. That's, 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 that's the simplicity of first John. And I'm like, I hit the brakes because I'm like, why then? If the, if the message of the, of, of first John is love, why does he kick this thing off with light? Why doesn't, why doesn't he come right out with, with love? You know, John's going to give us kind of, you know, I told you that old man, John, he's not into like rocking your theology. He's just into giving you simple, um, Jesus, but he does rock our theology a couple times here in first, second, third John. And, and in First John chapter 4, he says, God is love. Not that God has love, shows love, which those things he does, but it says God is, by the very nature of God, that God is love. And, and, and so, but, but he waits until chapter 4 to do that. And what is, what is old man John's heart for us, you guys? That we have a friendship, a relationship with Jesus like he did, right? And so then why does he kick it off with light instead of love? And so I, I, I really didn't have an answer to that question till this morning about 4 a.m. Hey. Um, no, but I, I, I think it's really cool that I want you to look at something now. I want you to get out your highlighter, get out your pen, and I'm going to try to answer that question. I'm going to talk for a little bit, okay? But don't let, don't let me, because I'm kind of ADD and I'll forget. Um, we'll go on a rabbit trail and I won't come back. But don't let me forget to get back to this. The question I'm asking is, why, why did John kick this thing off with light when the book is about love? Okay, that's, that's what we're trying to solve. So let's go down to verse number seven. Got your highlighters out? There's a, there's a wonderful word. Just kidding. It's a bad word in the Bible. I don't know why we're going to highlight it a bunch of times, but let, let's do it anyways. It's the word sin, sinned. Um, and so we're seeing, look, look at what verse number seven. At the end of verse seven, there's the word sin. You guys count them for me. That's one. And then in the, end of, or in the middle of verse 8, we have the word sin, right? You guys are under, underlining them? In verse number 9, we have the word sins and sins twice, right? Verse number 10, we have the word sinned. And, and then we go on to chapter 2, verse 1, we have the word sin twice in verse 1. And then in, in verse number 2 of chapter 2, we have the word sin again, right? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. 
eight times in those five verses. And, and as you guys know, you look at your chapter break right there in verse 2, right? So the, the, actually the first two verses of John chapter 2, they, they go with the thought in, in chapter 1. They more connect to what John is saying at the end of, of chapter 1. And as we know, the, the word of God is, is God-breathed. Every word is inspired by God. But the chapter breaks and the verse breaks, those, those were put in later by men so that we could organize our Bible. So they're not necessarily the end of every thought. Like chapter 1 is, is the end of this paragraph, this thought. The writer puts his pen down. He goes away for a week. He comes back. He's in a new groove, and he picks up chapter 2. That's kind of how, how we think. But that's, that's not really the way the Bible lays out. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes the chapter breaks are in great places. They, they finish the thought. We start another one here. Um, it, it doesn't. John just kept writing. They, they, they put it to, but it, it's the same idea into the first two verses of chapter 2. And so what, what is... If he mentions something eight times in five verses, do you think that we should pay attention? You know, I want to tell you, one of the things, rabbit trail now, sorry, ADD's kicking in. The, um, one of the things that God does in, in getting your attention is he repeats things. And when you study the word, when you read the word, and if you find something kind of being repeated, it's not on accident. The Holy Spirit has inspired that to get your attention. And so as you just read through this, you, you just notice, wait a minute, sin, 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 sin. There's a theme here that John is dealing with sin. And now the whole heart of what he's saying is, I want relationship with you. I want you to know Jesus the way that I know Jesus. And God is love. But before we get there, God is light. And what does light represent? What's the old age, the oldest iconic battle theme of life? Good versus evil, right? Good versus evil, light versus darkness, cowboy riding away into the sunset. He's the winner, you know, um, good wins, evil loses, and so God is light represents God's goodness. And God is, um, it says no darkness in him at all. Now, I can't say that about any of you guys. I'm sure you guys are really sweet people when you're sleeping. But we, we all can have a dark side, right? We can all have a rawr and, 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 and have some negativity to us. And, you know, when I was in high school, the, 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 some of the black girls that I went to school with, they used to try to tell me, this was their thing. It was like the, they would say, oh, you don't want me to get black on you. And that was like, tell me they were going to get nasty with me. And, you know, I told this one black girl, I said, I said, sweetie, you're already black, but, um, I know I don't want you to get nasty with me. And she's like, you know, so we, we have a nasty side. We have a dark side that we all have. And God has no darkness at all. God is only light and he's only love. And so, um, John in dealing with this issue of sin, He's going to deal with it right now. And he's going to say that, that in this relationship, you're never going to get... Listen, here's the point. The answer is, you're never going to get to the love part. You're never going to get to the relationship part, the closeness with Jesus, if you don't deal with sin in your life. And, and we have to. And what is sin? Sin, sin in relationship, what is, what is, sin is a, is a barrier between us and God. It affects our communion. It affects our fellowship. It affects our closeness. You know, my wife and I, we at times are really close and we get along well and we're loving. At times we're fighting, we're arguing. And, and there's something, there's some sin on someone's part, most likely hers, that, um, that, that is causing a, a break in our fellowship, in our relationship, in our closeness. 
And, and, and it's, it's the same with God. It's, it's true of God that, that, that sin in our lives, it, 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 listen, it can't affect God's love for you. Don't, 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 don't get this twisted. Don't miss this. That, that has nothing to do with God's love. Here's the truth. If you decided this morning when you got in your car to come to church and, and you passed the, the bar on your way and you decided to stop at the bar and, and, and instead of coming to church, it's not going to change God's love for you. The Bible says he can't love you anymore. He won't love you any less. He's, he, he created you. He so loved you that, that our actions are, um, you know, it, it doesn't and it can't affect or change the love of God in your life. Now, if, if you go to the bar instead of coming to church, you know, you, you, there's going to be consequences, natural consequences in your life of choices that you make. And then your marriage starts falling apart and you can't keep a job and, and you turn into alcohol, alcoholic and you crash your car and you end up in jail. Those are all consequences of those sins. But even in jail, the love of God doesn't change. But what, what changes and what does sin change in our life? It changes our relationship. It changes our closeness. It changes our, our intimacy with, with God and being the friend of Jesus. And this is what John understood. This is what old man John is trying to get across here in the letters is that, hey, I, 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 I was the BFF of Jesus. I really was. I laid on his bosom. He called me five times and five times the Holy Spirit described me as the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And and before I can really share that with you, before I can get into this, this really cool relationship that I had with Jesus that I'm inviting you to be a part of, we first have to deal with sin. Because sin is going to create a barrier. Sin is going to create a a block in in that relationship. What, What did Jesus say? Quiz time. What did Jesus say was the, the function of the Holy Spirit? Now, there's several, so it's kind of, but I'm looking for one specifically. What, what is the purpose of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us? Hey, we're on the right track. To do what? Convict us of sin, right? That's, that's the purpose and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to convict us of sin. Now, you know, when, 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 when the Bible is very clear about sin, but I want to tell you something about sin. Sin has some gray areas. Some people don't like that. Religious people hate that. But, but the reality is, sin has gray areas. Now, sin is, sin is black and white, right? Sin is black and white in that the Bible says, unequivocally, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that wine and strong drink is a mockery. And, and those that give themselves to it, it will destroy their lives. In 1 Chrysalonians, paraphrase. But um, the Bible says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not covet, do not lust. And so in these, in these big areas of sin, yes, the Bible's black and white. Don't have sex outside of marriage. If you lead a, a gay or lesbian lifestyle, the Bible says it's sin. I can call that sin because the Bible calls it sin. And, and yet, there are areas that, you know, are are. Black and white. I mean, there are gray areas. Let, let's, let's pick on one. Now, this is, I don't know, did I tell you guys this is National Back to Church Sunday? Nobody? It really is officially Back to Church. How do you have a National Back to Church Sunday? We do. No, it's true because actually, you know, it, it, we, we all know, right? Everybody has summer vacations and plans, and we all go on vacation over the summer, and people are, you take different people out during the week, but this Sunday is the one, I guess, where school gets back in session, everybody settles down, and um, we, we get back after it and 
church, church growth. Last year, and really across the nation, when churches that report, which we don't, but churches that report size and growth, the numbers always spike in, this, in September. September and February. So, anyways, I don't know how much I want to get in with you guys, into with you guys today. I don't know how I'm feeling, if I want to, how hard I want to hit you with some of this stuff. But let's talk about sin for a minute. These gray areas of sin. Which ones do you guys want to deal with? Let, let's, let's take it easy, all right? Let, let's talk about just one, just this fluff that's just for conversation piece. Movies, for example. You know, what, what, what movies in your life are sin and what movies are not sin? Is, is an R-rated movie sin and a PG-13 movie not sin? And people oftentimes, they want to ask me and they want me to define these areas of sin for their lives. And, and, I, and I tell them, I say, listen, I don't have any idea. What did God say to you? What, what did the Holy Spirit speak to you? And you guys have heard me say it a million times, right? God's not a T-Rex. And if the, the function of the Holy Spirit is to convict of sin, and the Bible's not clear. Now, if I can go and you ask me, is it um, sin to sleep with my neighbor's wife? I can go to the Word of God and I can show you where it says that's sin and we can deal with that and, and tell you the Bible says you will not inherit the kingdom of God if you continue in that type of practice without repentance. But in some areas, there's gray areas of sin. And that's where this relationship that old man John is describing for us comes in handy where the Holy Spirit's convicting you of sin and the Holy Spirit can speak to your heart. You know, is, is, is it sin to watch Friends or Days of Our Lives or Big Brother or, you know, I don't know. Glee. I watched about 22 seconds of that and I had enough. I mean, that's just my personal decision. But, you know, the, the reality is, here's what happens in church too, you guys. We ought to be careful for. So, um, God speaks to Shane's heart. And God says to Shane, he says, you know, I, I, and Shane just feels like wrong about watching a certain show. And, and, and God spoke to him. I don't want you to watch it. It's garbage. It's garbage in, garbage out. I don't want that a part of your life. Let's, 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 let's not do that. So Shane says, cool, Lord, you know, he can, God can speak to me. God's not a T-Rex. He speaks to Shane's heart. This area is sin. But he doesn't speak to Brian about that same sin. And Brian watches that show that Shane doesn't no longer watches because the Holy Spirit convicted him of sin. Convicted him in his personal life. And, and legalism and self-righteousness creeps in then when Shane goes over to Brian and says, Hey, I can't believe you watch that trash. I would never watch that. That is sin. And I'm a Christian. And, 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 then, and then Brian might say, Hey, uh, Shane, can you, can you show me in the Bible where it says that, that that's sin to... To watch Days of Our Lives or whatever shows Brian likes to watch. So operas he watches during the day. Um, and, and again, and then what happens, right, in, in, in his situation. Now Shane's like, you know, he, he's better than the rest of us because he doesn't watch that trash and we do. And, and then he becomes self-righteous. And I'll tell you what self-righteousness is. Self-righteousness is a mask for sin every time. I have never once met a self-righteous Christian who's better than everybody else and just, you know, always has this air of, of righteousness that, that's looking down their nose at everybody else that some major sin hasn't been exposed in their life at some point. And so in the area of, of sin, it's a matter of relationship is what I'm telling you. Now, again, we have black and white stuff. Everybody can just, right, they're, they're wrong. But, but as the Holy Spirit leads us, and here's the other thing. If we came down, and as a church, we came down and, and we started making rules that we believed were, were sin in the life of a believer, in the life of a Christ follower. And, and, and if God really just hasn't spoke that to you, and you're like, 
how could that be sin? I don't have any problem with it. Like, I'm cool watching that show. And again, don't, don't get the whole show thing, you know, too involved in this, in this analogy. Because it's just, it's just one example of areas of life, you know. Um, and so I, I'm cool watching that show. You know, I'm cool doing this. Or I'm cool with that behavior or that conversation or, you know. And, and God hasn't really spoken it to me. But, and I can't find it anywhere in the Bible where it's clear on that then you're not going to, if the Holy Spirit hasn't put that conviction on you, it's not going to be true. It's not going to have legs. It's not really going to motivate you, right? Amen? Amen. So this is, this is the summary of what I just said. There, there, are, there are black and white sins that the Bible lays out. Um, there are gray area sins that, and I trust that you connect with Jesus, you seek Jesus, you read his word. And then when God does speak to you about an area of your life that he, he wants to see removed or changed, that you change that area of your life. You start working on that area of your life. And, and you ask God to help you with that so you don't continue in it. And so that sin creates a separation. And that's why John deals with it first. And verse 6, he says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... We lie. We're going to show that clip every time I say lie. Don't do it. Cheated. Liar. 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 To blave. He said to blave. (laughs) No. He said true love. All right. Don't do that to me anymore. I already got ADD problems. I told you that. I see a squirrel. Um, verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Not only did John just kick it off right here with light instead of love. Now, right here, six verses in, he's calling you a liar. Now, now none of you, of course, nobody in our church, but in other, other places, he's calling them liar. But no, what John's saying is the same thing that John, um, the, the, John the Baptist said, right? What did John the Baptist say to the Pharisees who came um, to be water baptized? He said, show fruits worthy of repentance, you brood of vipers. And so there's this idea and, and there's this thing. And John says, you say that you have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and his son, Jesus Christ. And if you claim fellowship or relationship with Jesus and your life doesn't reflect that you're a liar. He's going to go on and say that, that, that God is not lying. And John is like in this, this rock and a hard place, this fix. And, and he has this dilemma. And either God is lying or these people are lying. And John has to make a choice. And John's choice is easy, right? Is God lying or are the people lying? People are lying. And that's what John is saying. Like, it, so if we claim we have fellowship. You know, if you, if you call yourself a Christ follower and a Christian, here's the truth. There should be some evidence in your life. It, it's going to affect your life somewhere. Your people are going to be able to see it. The Bible says that we're fruit inspectors. And what John's saying here is we, we can't play the hypocrite. And so you don't come and give it lip service and then there'd be nothing to prove in your life. Lame analogy, but it's the only one I can think of right now. But you, you heard that story like if, if you were going to go to court today, and you were going to appear before a jury of your peers, 12 people, and you're on trial of whether you're a Christian or not, would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you of Christianity? Would there be fruit worthy of repentance? Would there be something in your life that that a court of law could convict you on in your Christianity? And that's kind of what John is saying here. He's saying there'll be fruit worthy of repentance. You know, I I had this girl when I was in Bible college. and, And, you know... 
she annoyed the heck out of me. I think she must have spoke with a mousy voice. Or maybe she didn't, but that's the way I always remember. And she would say, we would pray. And she said, Jesus, we love you. I love you so much, Jesus. Oh, yeah, I just love Jesus. And every time you saw her and every prayer was, Jesus, I love you. I love Jesus. And then when the prayer was over, she'd go on sinning and living her life like hell. And I'm just like, the two things don't match up, right? They're not consistent. And John's here says, you're, you're a liar if you say that you have fellowship, but there's no fruit in your life. There's, no, there's nothing that bears that out, and we should be able to see that. And if we say that we walk, you know, here's the thing. The, the cool thing about God is that God gives you the reward up front. So normally, you, you go to work and you get your check on Friday. Or you wait two weeks and you get your check every two weeks. When, when you become born again... And you ask Jesus in your heart, he pays you right now. Show me the money. He, he writes your name in the Lamb's book of life now. As soon as you become a believer, the reward has already been given to you. You're already going to heaven. And, and, and once your name is in the Lamb's book of life, then from there, then we, we walk out and we walk this, this thing called Christianity and Christ followers. And we, we learn these lessons and there's, there, there's, there's proof of that. And in verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So, God is light. Let's unpack that just really quickly. The, the whole analogy that God is light is in so many different ways. Now, first of all, He's a light that has no darkness. We, we talked about that. He's a light. The Bible says, and if you look up the word light in the Bible, you're going to find it in multiple places. The the one I think of immediately is it says in in Revelation that in in heaven, there's no need for the sun because God himself is light. Because God will provide the luminescent and the light and will light up heaven and light up your life. That God himself is a light. And then um, in Psalms, the psalmist tells us that God's word, the logos... The same word that's used in John chapter 1, when it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. That word, which is Jesus, it says that thy word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. You know, so, so if you imagine life, like I used, when I, when I, my first job when I got to high school was uh, I worked at Levitt's Furniture. It was a cool first job, warehouse job. I was going to junior college and I drove this lift around. I don't know, it was like... I couldn't call it a forklift. It wasn't a forklift. It looked more like a forklift truck and had a flat bed on it and the size of a couch. And it would go up like seven levels and you'd, you'd drive it and you'd start going up to your spot and then you'd have the couch that you were picking and loading. You'd pull it on your thing. You'd load some stuff on it. And, and it was this big warehouse full of furniture. And, and I, I think of like, if, if you're in that warehouse and you turn all the lights off and I had to drive that thing through those aisles and the aisles are only as wide as your, as your lift. And, and, and without light, it's pretty, you know, it, it's not going to happen, right? I'm going to bang. I'm going to, and what, what, forget the lift. What if I had to walk through that warehouse and navigate from one end to the other in complete darkness? I'm going to bump my head on the shelf. I'm going to be bleeding. I'm going to stub my toe. My, my life is going to kind of walk like this. And, and, and the reality is we, people that don't know Jesus, that don't have relationship with God, they go through life that way. 
They're, they're in the darkness. They're really no direction. And then when Jesus comes in our life, it says that he's a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. And all of a sudden, there's a light now that, that leads us where we're supposed to go. And doesn't your heart break? Won't your heart break for somebody who has to navigate life in the darkness? And, and, and you watch and you witness the bumps and the bruises and the, the people take trying to get through the warehouse in complete darkness. And God is light. And that light, you know, it guides us, it leads us. And, and praise God that, that we have a relationship with Jesus and he's willing to. You know what, you know what happens? We're still going to bump our head. You know why? Because we're stupid. Because we're like sheep. The Bible says Jesus said you're like sheep. And sometimes, you know, even though God's lit, lit the path, we're like, no, I look this way better. You know, and that's how we go through life. And, 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 but God's light is there. And, and that's what I think of when I think of light. And it says that we walk in that light. John said, if we walk in that light, we have fellowship with one another. And, and back to this, verse number three. I mean, I hammered this nail a couple weeks ago. Remember verse number three? You guys forget by the time you get to your car. But um, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, this idea of fellowship and that John starts with fellowship. And here he says it again. Um, look at verse number three. What does he say? That we have seen and heard and declared to you that we may have fellowship with who? Verse three. With us. Now, we're, we're talking in the context of fellowship with God, but John starts by saying that it's fellowship with each other. It's this connection. Remember the story about my friend David and the Harvest Crusade? That was that. So here again in verse 7, he says that if we have fellowship with one another, and again, there is this connection, this fellowship, that it's important that, that there's this common bond in Christ that connects us. And as you guys know, you know, we look around this room, we gather in this room together, but... Probably not the people that, you know, we, we, we're most like or most like us. But there is a common bond in Christ that, that, that brings us together. And that fellowship is super important. And then he says, in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. Super, super important to understand that, that the blood of Jesus Christ is more powerful than any sin you've ever created. Any sin that you've ever committed the blood of Jesus Christ covers it. Well, what about this? And what about that? There, there's a true story of Dr. Finney. I didn't tell this in the last service, but I feel like I should tell you this story. And I've told it before, but true story. Charles Finney, was a, he was a Billy Graham of his day. You can look him up online in his crusades. And, and in the eastern United States, when Dr. Finney would come and have these um, baseball stadium-sized crusades where he would come and preach the gospel, entire entire bar... Um, strip malls would close down and the whole, you know, downtown section, party section for lack of patrons because the gospel was being preached and people were getting saved in these Finneys that Dr. Charles um, Finney was preaching in, in, in the turn of the century on the eastern United States. And in a particular place, a man came to one of Charles Finney's um, revivals and as he was getting ready to go on stage, the man stopped him and he, he, he said, Dr. Finney, he said, I, I, I need to meet with you after the, after the revival meeting tonight. Will you come to my house? And Dr. Finney said, yes, I will. And so he leaves and he goes on stage and the elders grab Dr. Finney and they say, Dr. Finney, what, what did that guy say to you? And he said, well, he invited me to his house after the service. And they said, well, you, you're not going to go, are you? You can't go. That, that is the evilest, most notorious gangster in this whole area. He owns bars and nightclubs, illegal casino ramblers. He's, he's, he's a murderer. He's dangerous. There's no way you can go with that guy. And Dr. Finney said, I gave him my word and I'm going to go with him. And so after the service, he goes out and the guy's waiting for him. The guy takes him back to, to his place, 
not far from there. They go into this, this, this room. They walk in together, and the guy locks the door behind Dr. Finney, and they sit at this table, and the guy reaches out, he pulls out a gun, and he sets it on the table. And he looks at Dr. Finney, and he said, Dr. Finney, he said, you said something in your service last night, and I want to know if it's true. He said, you said the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, will forgive a man of all sins. Is that true? And Dr. Finney said, yes, that's what the word of God says in 1 John, that's true. And the guy said, but wait a minute. He said, you don't know me. He said, I run an illegal gambling ring. And he said, many times men will come in here and they'll spend their last dollar and I'll throw them out on their ear. Can God forgive a man like that? Dr. Finney said, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, can forgive a man of all sins. And the guy said, wait, that's not all. He said, wives come in here and beg me not to sell their husband booze anymore. And I take their last dollar and I throw them out on their ear. Can God forgive a man like that? And Dr. Finney said, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, forgives a man of all sins. And he said, wait, that's not all. See that gun right there? He said, that gun's committed murder or have used that gun to commit murder. And people have died because of that gun, with that gun. Can God forgive a man like that? And Dr. Finney said, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, forgives all sins. And the guy said, wait, that's not all. He said, upstairs I have a little girl and a wife. And he said, I've never said two kind words to that little girl my whole life. Never been good to my wife. He said, and the other day, I was in the kitchen, and my daughter came up to me to give me a hug, and I, I didn't want to be bothered, and I pushed her, and she ran into the stove, and a pot of water landed on her head and burned her. Can God love a man like that? Can God forgive a man like that? By this point, Dr. Finney said that, you're a creep, and that's the worst story I've ever heard. And if it were up to me, I'd use that gun to shoot you. But the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, can forgive a man of all sins. And Dr. Finney got up and left. And the next morning, the guy went up, he went home, and he was upstairs. And his daughter, his mom was in the kitchen, her wife was in the kitchen cooking breakfast. And his his wife said to the daughter, he said, go tell your, your father that it's time for breakfast. And the girl went about halfway up the stairs, and she said, Daddy, it's time for breakfast. And he said, uh, sweetheart, I'm not coming to breakfast this morning. And she went back downstairs, and she told her, her mom, she said, Mom, Dad said that he's not coming to breakfast this morning. And he called me sweetheart. And the mom's like, no way, you misheard him. Go tell him again. So she runs upstairs, and she goes into his room, and she says, Dad, it's time for, for breakfast. And he takes her for the first time, and he puts her in a lap, and he says, I heard something. And last night I found out that it's true. God can forgive a man of all sins. True story. The guy goes on, he closes down all his bars, he becomes a benefactor in that town. And, you know, that, that, that's a long story to illustrate that word all in the Greek. You know, that word all is all. God forgives a man of all sins. And, and the, the factor in, in sin forgiveness is not what the sin is, because the Apostle Paul himself was a murderer. And Mary... Magdalene was a fornicator and on and on and on and on and yet those people were very close to Jesus the issue is a heart that wants forgiveness a heart that wants forgiveness and wants repentance and when a heart repents the blood of Jesus Christ covers a man from all sins amen and then in verse 9 it says if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness there we get that word all again and so 
Really quickly, let's talk about this idea of confess, because it, it is something theologically, biblically that, that, that gets twisted, right? It, um, if you have friends that are Catholic or you yourself have Catholic background, to this day you go to, you know, you go to church, you go in a booth, and you confess your sins to the priest. The priest prescribes something that, um, it, you know, certain thing, the penance that you do for, for your sins. That function of, of confessing your sins to the priest, it, it, was, it was valid in the Old Testament. The problem is when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that the veil of the temple, which separated men from the Holy of Holies, it rent from top to bottom. And Paul says that we all have access to access to God, to the throne room of God. And that, and that um, we, we don't need that function anymore. It's not necessary anymore because now we can confess our sins directly to God. We've already established that, that sin separates our fellowship. It breaks down our relationship with God when there's sin in our lives. And we're going to struggle in our intimacy with Jesus and being a friend of Jesus if we have sin. So we have to deal with that sin. And so how do we remove when we do sin? Because we all are going to sin. We're all imperfect. We don't use that as an excuse for sin, as a license for sin. But the reality is we are going to sin. And John says, if you don't say you have sin, you're a liar. So we have sin. So once we sin, then there has to be a plan to remove that. If God plans and wants to have in Jesus wants, which he does to have intimacy with us, he's got to deal with that. And one of the things that God desires is confession. And basically what this means is that you agree with God and the heart of God of what is that it's sin in your life. You know, you hear people confess sin sometimes. And I get people come up and pray and they, they, they want to talk about confession or sin. And they say, God, if, if we have sinned in any way, if we don't let me win with your nonsense, if no, no, you have sinned. So say, I sinned. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And, and we can, you know, I think, I think confession should be an open conduit daily between us and the Lord. That, that, that when you have something that you're convicted about, the Holy Spirit has spoke to you, that you know is sin in your life, and you've done that, and that you confess it by name. And you say, God, God, forgive me for that. Forgive me for that heart. Help me not to do that anymore. And you know what? Confession doesn't do anybody any good if it's not accompanied with repentance. It, it's, you know, it, it, again, it's just bad theology. Well, I'm just going to go sin and ask for forgiveness later because the Bible says God's going to forgive me. doesn't work that way. But we, we confess with the heart of God, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I agree that it's sin in, your, in my life. And we, we confess, we confess with the heart of changing and repentance. And so um, if we confess our sins, verse number nine, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, really quickly, the faithful and the unjust part of verse nine, that's not on our part. That's on God's part, right? So um, that was my timer. I'm only a few minutes over right now, but I'm going to be done here in a minute. Um, something that you have to understand and believe by faith, Okay. Because, so again, so many times for Christians, we want to play the victim card. We want to play the poor me-itis and, oh, God can't use me because I did this and I did that. And I just don't have gifts or talents. And, you know, poor me, poor me, poor me. God can't use me. And, and that's where that clip comes in hand because I say to that person, liar! You know, again, either you're lying or God's lying. The Bible says that God puts your sins as far as the east is from the west. 
If we took out of here east today, how long would it be before we started traveling west? Driving around the globe, heading east. When would we start heading west? The, the west, if, if we took out of here north today, how far would we get before we started heading south? To the North Pole, and then we start heading south. And so the east and the west never meet. And Jesus said, I'll put your sins as far as the east is from the west. He says, I will throw your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. And so if you do what it says here in 1 John and you confess your sins, it says he is faithful and just to forgive them. Well, it was said once that, you know, the only reason that God remembers that sin is because you keep telling him. He's already thrown it into the sea of forgetfulness. He's already put it as far as the east is from the west. He forgot about it. Now by faith, now by, by, by walking it out, now you have to forgive yourself. You have to step out in it. But we don't want to do that. We'd rather go, oh, no, poor me. I can't be used by God. I'm just not. Shut up. <laughs> you stupid. No, it, it does. We've we got to get rid of that victim card. We've got to get rid of that idea and, and believe exactly what it says here. And how do you know it's true? Because God said it. He's forgiven you. He calls you to walk in that forgiveness and walk it out. Verse number 10 says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Why, why do you think it's important here at the end of... Uh, and actually, that's not where chapter 1 really should end, I don't think, or the thought anyways. We get into the next two verses. We'll do them next week. But um, the idea that... that um, That it's important that you understand that you have sin. Why does John say, if you say you have no sin, you make God a liar? Why does John jump on that so, so hard? Does he want to shame you? Does he want to embarrass you because you're a sinner? Who, who in here is a sinner? We all are sinners, right? We've understood that. We all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. If you say you don't have sin, John says you're a liar. And so, but it is important and not to condemn us, not to, but, but to, in, to make sure that we, we also then understand we need a savior. And if we admit we have sin, we admit that we've broken the heart of God and that we confess that sin and we, we strive in that relationship and we try to keep that, that relationship gap between us and God clear of sin in our lives, that we, we will draw closer to Jesus. Amen. 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 Let's stand. I want to encourage you guys this morning just in, in drawing closer to Jesus and growing with Him. If you have sin in your life, old man John thinks it's important that we deal with it. Old man John is encouraging you to, to, to confess it, to get it right. If you've never asked Jesus in your heart, maybe you're not a Christ follower, maybe you're a guest in here today, and, and you want to ask Jesus in your heart to be your Lord and Savior, you want to make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You want to know that you can know that you know that you're born again. I want to give you that opportunity here this morning. Let's, let's go ahead and turn the lights off. And then here's what we'll do. I don't want to embarrass anybody. There's going to come a day, and I think it's important. I've talked about it a lot, where I think you need to come forward publicly. And that's a part of what water baptism is. And, and even here in front of your, your, your peers. But I want to give you an opportunity. And you know what? There's no magic in any of the words that we pray or say. There's only magic in your heart. And so if, if God spoke to your heart today, apart from anything that, that we said or the worship team did, that, that God had already spoke to you before you even got here, I want to give you an opportunity just to, just to get right with the Lord. Ask Him in your heart. And so what we'll do is we'll just pray. Can we just pray out loud together, everybody? And, and again, um, God knows your heart. And, and pray this to the Lord. And if you mean it, God will change your life today. We're going to sing one last song. Um, as we sing, 
Shane will be up to pray for you. If anybody needs individual prayer, and um, love to pray for you guys. And then uh, ladies, Tuesday, men, we're off uh, tomorrow night. And uh, love you guys. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And we guys repeat after me, dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. Please come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.